You are listening to High Shelf Gaming. This is a show where we talk about board games and role-playing games and gaming conventions. If this is what you're looking for, please keep listening. You can always find us on our website, Facebook group, Facebook page, or on Twitter and Twitch and Discord, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. Super easy to join the community, and we look forward to meeting you. Hey everyone, David Gillespie here again with High Shelf Gaming, and as always, I am joined by the ghoulish Rich Wisniewski. Hello, Dave. This is ghoulish Rich. We know we got to do something for for Halloween too. Yes, (laughs) this is. You know, I hate to say we're recording this, and I get the ghoulish thing, and I'm sitting here now going, "Oh, this is a great." October release episode, but I'm not too sure we can sit on it this long because of our guest. Well, you know, here's the thing. Around this time last year, we were planning on an October release episode with the subject matter of tonight's episode. We'll get into that in a little bit, and it didn't work out for us. So this is our, you know, pour one out for the things that never came to be came to pass. But we're super excited tonight because we've got a dear friend of ours, Mike, Michael. Man, oh, Mike Gen Con the Mike. Man. Yes, Gen welcome Con to Mike. the show. I wish you had a podcast. I would listen to you every day. Well, thank yes. you. Thank you. Dude, welcome so much to the show. Um, <laughs> I'm excited Mike, to be here. Yeah, you and I, we, we all met at Gen Con thanks to like Polly and Gen Con Amy and, the, right. and that whole crew. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I, like, you rolled up with the black fingernails, right? Uh, and, they, they were... Uh, Blue, actually, dark, uh, dark oh, blue. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. And Sorry. I immediately thought they were not colorblind friendly. I'm just letting you right <laughs> yeah, now. They, I yeah. thought they were black. Yeah, I'm, but I'm going to say, like, immediately, it was like, oh, this, this, this guy's my home dog because I know <laughs> he and I would have totally played some vampire. We would have played some World of Darkness back in the day. And you were right. You were very yes. correct. Yes. Was it the black Jenko jeans that gave him away too? <laughs> yeah. With I don't the, think he was in Jenko jeans, with but the, he should with have silver been. chain in <laughs> the top that was like fishnet with all the ripped areas. Oh yeah, in the in the in the punk studs everywhere. Yeah, yes. the punk yes. studs, yeah. and he had that yes. jacket with yeah. the yeah. Um, safety pins. Mm-hmm. You know, right. holding the patchet on the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, yeah. Kind of a goth punk situation. Yeah, yeah. totally. I always, I just thought it was the electrical tape over my nipples that really did. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's how this you know. This is why I would listen every day, Mike. <laughs> yes. right. You got to be wearing chafing, gentlemen. That's a real thing. That's right. That's right. That's right. Don't just give it away. Um, <laughs> so, Mike, uh, just by way of introduction, what kind of gamer are you? Like, what what, what games what's do you play? Tops, what, yeah, what's your history? Well, back when I was a wee lad, uh, back even in middle school, um, mm-hmm. I started getting interested. Yeah, it was, actually. Yes! It was. Yeah, it was second edition back then uh, for the longest time. And I remember a friend of mine was into it as well. We didn't play a lot, but I loved reading the books. Uh, yeah, I didn't loved, we all? Yeah, I loved going through the pages and the, the artwork. Was, yes. Oh, yeah. And that was the thing. And it wasn't really until high school that I actually got to start playing but in the, by that time, third edition had just come out when I really started playing. So I played a little bit of second edition to get my feet wet. And then as I was playing, third edition came out and you knew all the changes that came with that. So it was yeah. a little bit, you know, a little transitional period, but I loved it. I mean, the the whole thing was just mind blowing for me. And, you know, I grew up, you know, some of my most formative years in the 80s. So yeah. you had shows and movies Beans that had this. Monsters. Yeah, well. 
Yeah, unfortunately, I, mm-hmm. I just recently watched that, and I just yes. I forgot how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and how like and how like not pro D and D it was. No, and how you know the the level of psychosis that Tom Tanks goes through. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So, but I mean, think about you know, I was able to watch the Lord of the Rings cartoons when they were on. I had them on cassette. You know, movies like Crawl and. Um, Excalibur and all the stuff that I could get because my dad had a um, had a subscription with HBO. So because of having cable, it gave me access to all those other channels. And then, of course, there would oh, be the yeah. free weekends. Like Freaking Conan and all that good stuff. Yeah. Dude, and that's, I still have those movies at my house now. You, yes. you need to keep them permanently in your library because, yes. you know, that shows you. I mean, if you look between Lord of the Rings and Conan, you see the difference between high fantasy and sword and sorcery and, you know, it covers the gambit. And I mean, the soundtracks themselves oh yeah you know really just i mean my father we would drive around in his car and we'd have the soundtrack to conan playing on a cassette you know and just, <sighs> just you know just constantly pumped up about stuff like that dude that's so, so awesome there's like this like father connection here like i thought i want to say you're probably the first guest of ours that said you're really connected with your dad over fantasy media and that kind of thing that is so cool yeah it's it's not so much i mean you know he wasn't he always kind of gave a side eye to the whole, you know, D and D thing. And, you know, my parents are always kind of iffy about that because, you know, we saw the huge media campaign about the tide of Satanism and all the other garbage that came along with it. But the fact that we could connect at least in some form of media and agree on certain things made a big difference in us being able to enjoy certain. So there was a connection there and it, it you know, in high school, it progressed and went from D and D. And then I, I, learned about and got exposed to white wolf and that turned the corner for me yeah so that yeah. was a huge thing and that was extremely for you know from that point on because it wasn't just the game it wasn't just the fact that they they took uh, you know a different you know, aspect on the entire gaming genre it was the fact that you know, in their books, they were quoting music and and movies and novels yes. and making these references that were applicable, which made me then want to go find some of that source material to find those bands, to find those movies, to read those books, to further my interest in them. Yeah, they they really informed you as to the like themes and genre that they were jumping into. Oh, yeah. And that's. Yeah. You know, the thing that I found most interesting about them and was how they basically, in a good way, turned the industry on its ear. Okay, hold you know? on, hold on yeah. for all the dear listeners out there. Mike is one hell of a D&D player. He jumped into <laughs> uh, my game on Wednesday at Gen Con and phenomenally jumped right into Redbox Basic. I knew you had some D&D chops from that day. That's why I was like, it has to be D&D. It has to be d It has to be d And here I had my fingers crossed that it was White Wolf like myself. I was like, yeah. come on, baby. Say I was White saw Wolf. too much D&D chops happening. No. That day. And that's, you know, and the, you know, the sad thing about it is, is it, and it's not sad. It's it's good. Is that I fluctuated back and forth. It was Gen Con that actually was able to let me get back into White Wolf because the group of people that I used to play the White Wolf games with, we separated. You know, we got mm. we moved oh, on. Yeah. We got older. Exactly. Oh, yeah. We moved yeah, away. People move on, do things. There's drama. The Jenkos. Right. Yeah. And it was actually it was 2010, 2011. That I actually did my first LARPs. And Ooh. I actually got recognized both years, got prizes rewarded for my 
um, live action role playing, and it was actually I pretty believe cool. Believe it. So Dude, it, was, okay. it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So anything else on your gamer chops, or should we jump straight into our topic for the evening? Well, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you know I would just say a little bit more the other the other side of my my love of gaming is board games. Traditional board games. When you know when I say traditional, I'm talking about stuff like Life or Monopoly, uh, Monopoly and stuff. Like, but my brother would always kick my. Uh, are we about to swear? Yeah. Okay. My yeah. Brother, yeah. My we're bro- we're dirty wholesome here. Fuck All right. No, fantastic. Dude. Watch your language. So my my, bro- my brother would always kick my ass at risk because I never understood the concept. But I loved Stratego. Oh. So I was yeah. a big fan of Stratego. Stratego is one of those games that we kind of need to talk about here because it's one of those like it's 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 a game that like really big time board gamers have all played. But very rarely reference, you know, but it's just so formative. It just has so much going on. And that's I think and I actually that was one of the first times I ever actually started winning a game. So that's why I liked it. You know, I played and then in recess when we were in middle school, we had a game of Othello. We had a Othello board game at oh, schools yeah. and that moved into as I got older, we started playing games like Weapons and Warriors, Castles of Canada. Was it Castles of Catapult or, or and something like that? You know, you had the, the giant battle mat and you had mm-hmm. the, the rubber band loaded like catapults and oh, cannons you know, and stuff like was, that. There was a game like that that I played. It was like a, it was a naval game and each of you piloted a submarine that had mm-hmm. little discs and you'd rubber band shoot them across the, the table and they would hit ships that the other player had uh, had arrayed. And like there was all this like rubber band reaction, like if the disc hit the right spot, a mm-hmm. thing on the ship would pop and exactly. all that kind of stuff. Yep. It was the same idea with the yep. with the castle game, I think. Yep, that's exactly it. That's exactly yeah. it. And that yeah, that was big in the 90s. Uh, most recently, for the last over the last six months, I've been playing Gloomhaven. Ooh, so you know, yeah. What are you and I and Rich? What are the three of us talking about tonight? Oh, we're having a, an episode. Yeah, baby. <laughs> oh, it's not just it's not just the gang getting back together. We are talking about White Wolf. Yes, I'm White Wolf Publishing. Oh man, I am so pumped about this. I know the folks that have been listening a while have heard I grew up with White Wolf. That was my first gaming system. Um I didn't really touch D&D until like my third or fourth gaming system. Like I was really late to get to D&D, but I played the shit out of some White Wolf. So I'm so happy <laughs> that I found you and that we get to bring you on so I have an excuse to talk about oh, my let's favorite talk about White Wolf. Yes. Oh, I hear people. That's right. And I finally found someone to talk White Wolf with me. <laughs> well, Rich, if you need to, you can take a nap while we just geek out over this. It's all yes. right. No, I will just sit here and make sli- and make snide comments and make <laughs> superior comments to my D and D world compared to yours. But we'll we'll be okay. It'll get there. Sorry, you got to go with your strengths, Rich. Go with your strengths. Man. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> White Wolf for the folks that aren't up to speed. Initiated. Yeah, they are a publishing company that made a bunch of role-playing games in the 90s, most popularly in the 90s. They've recently fired up the Kindle again and are now pumping out new product. Gosh, they were the first ones that really said, look, you don't like keep track of things in terms of minutes. You keep track of things in terms of scenes. Mm -hmm. So if there's like an effect on your character, it lasts the whole scene. Right. And everything's all about storytelling and everything's all about the arc and about the the themes and the motifs and the they really like put a lot of juice behind the concept that you're telling a story, not 
really playing a game. Right. And that was the thing that I found intriguing about it because they wanted it to be, it's not so much that there are pages and pages and volumes of charts. It's not about the math and the crunchiness of the game in that regard. It's right. what story can you tell and what story do you want to be a part of? And it focused not so much on you know, I want to go and I want to attack the zombie and I want to, you know, get the gold and I want to, you know, slay the dragon. And it became, I am now a fully part of this realized world that is fluid. It is dynamic. It is changing based on my choices. And, you know, there are these cities, there are these source books for the cities themselves and that sit you up with the princes and uh, the primogens and you find, you know, there's all this. Ooh, there's let's, a stop, let's, let's, let's roll back just a little bit with those concepts. Those are the political structures mm-hmm. for specifically vampire. Sure. In an area. So the prince would be like the leader of this, of this town uh, sure. for a certain faction. And then the primogen would be like the leaders of their like little sub factions within the town. Sure. If you were, yeah, like the, for the clans, they would be the head of the clan. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, so, so um, if you've never played White Wolf games before, or anything like that, politics matter. <laughs> yeah, and it's <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. And it is, as you know, we're saying in White Wolf in general, not just about vampire, but if you look at the, the structures, you know, that you find in, in uh, Werewolf or even when it comes to Mage, uh, those mm-hmm. are my first three introductions to the White Wolf world. You find that there is a level of politics. There is a certain amount of balance that needs to be struck. So again, that goes more towards the storytelling, the actual role-playing element that got lost in a lot of those games that later came out or, or came out before them too, because it wasn't just about, you know, what can I do specifically for this adventure? It's the what am I part? How am I part of this world? How can I be a bigger part or a smaller part? Or how can I manipulate this world? What's my end goal so far? And where do I want to see things go? Yeah. There's a lot of introspection going on here. It is. This is not a hack and slash, my friend. It is definitely not. <sighs> yeah. You you don't survive as a hack and slash character because a lot of characters in these games had like fixed hit points. So you could be super powerful, but you still had kind of the same amount of hit points you started with. I mean, there's a, a, like vampire is a little different, but um, in a lot of cases, the game was always pretty, pretty lethal from that perspective. You became more lethal, right? Your enemies became more lethal, but you never really got like a ton of hit points or any of that kind of stuff. And you really had to do a lot of role play, man. You had to do a whole lot of story craft. Right. And that, that I think that was a, that is, is both a pro and a con for that white fold system is that the people that you find, I would say the people I ran into that have mostly played a lot of the White Wolf games. These are people who, whether or not they're doing live action role play, LARPing, or whether or not they're just sitting at the table themselves, they get into their characters. Some of them will mm-hmm. come dressed as their character. Some of them will stay in character that entire time or until yeah. something gets, you know, they, they're, you know, out of, you know, out of story. But, um, and that's yeah. the depth that there is to. And the other half of it is the con to that is that people who don't want to focus on the role playing and would rather just play it as a tabletop video game almost where right. I'm just going to go and I'm going to attack this and I'm going to go and attack this and I'm going to cash in this money. I'm going to get this loot. I'm going to get, you know, these new equipment and then I'm going to be on my way and do the next thing. Um, you know, it's outside of that model. It, it is, as you said, it's more about storytelling. It is about being in the world. And, and I want to say that like, that can be annoying. Like people can take it pretty far. And if you're, 
if you're not the type of player who wants to sit at the table with someone who is fully dressed in character and will not leave character until they go to until they get up to go get a Mountain Dew. Um, like I get that that can be maybe too much for some people, and that's not typical of every table. No, but no, it is no. certainly easy to find that table in a town if you want the like hardcore uh, neo gothic role playing scene. Team Edward. Yeah, exa- well, pff, dude, they would all be very upset at the idea of of Why? Uh, Twilight. What? No, dude, no, oh, they're all about no. Anne Rice. They're all about oh. you know interview with a vampire. You know the the romantic vampires, not the sparkly. Did Mike vampires. just do like a face palm as I? Said I think he did. Edward? I think he was. I think he was dying a little inside, and I just, I, was, I spoke to give him recovery time. Yeah. Okay, it was it was very much an, an eye rolling Captain Picard moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just, almost to, to the point of being shut up. Wesley. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because of having the classic idea of vampires, you know, things like Nosferatu, which obviously enough, one of the clans in Vampire the Masquerade, or the classic idea behind werewolves themselves. As I said, when you're reading, going through the books themselves, the player handbook, the initial book, the storyteller's guide, the clan books for vampire, the tribe books for werewolf, the tradition books for mage, you're seeing them draw on the somewhat classical idea of them. Yeah. And then change it a little bit, turn it up a little bit. You know, they go to 11 on some of these things in a good way. It's, and you know, Dave, to get back to your point, as we were saying, you're right. There are people who can't take it too far. And then at the point of, you know, they're being passionate, it becomes an obsession and it becomes annoying and distracting the story. So you find, you have to find that balance. You know, somebody who wants to be addressed only by their character's name and sits down with a, a glass and, and, you know, they're like, this is my blood wine and this is yeah. electric. You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like really thick Kool-Aid. It's exactly. Like, Stop. All right. <laughs> Take a break. Take a break. Yeah. You know, but- but it's it's one of those games that allows someone who wants that for themselves, mm-hmm. it encourages you to get committed. Right. So there is a little bit of like, I'm poking a little bit of fun at folks that take it very seriously. But this is one of those places. This is one of those games that actually says, no, actually, that's OK here. Oh, yeah. If you're Definitely. at a table that likes that 100 percent, go go to the nines, man. Go all the way into this character. And you see it on some of those streams that are out there now, like. LA by night and uh, some of the others, some of the other programs out there. Yeah. B Dave is in that. Like they are into it. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those games where it's okay to be into it. Now I sitting at home, I might poke a little fun at that, but that's because that's not my style of gaming anymore. But I definitely want to say that if it's your style of gaming, this might be a game for you because it, Exactly. Wholeheartedly encourages it. And it's a lot easier to sit around the table wearing a top hat and, you know, blood red sunglasses than it is sitting in a, you know, being a paladin sitting in plate mail. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, much easier to get Sounds like somebody's tried that before. It chafes. It, it's just not so good. It's not great. It's not great after four that's hours. That's why. It retains a, retain, yeah. a lot of heat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is that they are story focused of course there's always combat capable right mm-hmm. everybody has combat yeah. powers and all that kind of stuff so we talk a lot about the story but from a system perspective it's really straightforward it's a it's a dice pool system which maybe is a little different than what other folks are used to the more skills you have the more attributes you have that just means you roll more dice and you get a big handful of dice and you roll them all and you count up Ooh. how many are above seven or yeah, depending on the six, difficulty depending, level, yeah. Yeah, depending on the addition or depending D6 on the six or no, a D10s. Yes. D10s. That yeah. leads for some big damage. Do they yeah, explode and you're like, roll, too? 
Um, no. Some. Darn it. Uh, well, they can if you have a specialty in it. You can yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, it depends, but mostly no. Yeah. no. Um, but yeah, you're rolling these big fists full of the dice and you like throw them all down and you count how many successes and like, I, I, I the dice rolling mechanic in, in White Wolf is fun because you're like, ah, lots of dice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Feels good. Yeah, there's but, something uh, nice about that. Yeah, exactly. But mechanically, it's super easy. Like, you look at your sheet, you know exactly how good you are at things. Character creation uh, goes through the system side of things very quickly, but then gets back into all of that story stuff. Right. Saying, all right, your character is in this world. What do they hate about the world? What do they want to see changed? Everything. And <laughs> and you can say, I hate the corruption of this, or I abhor the you know violence against that. And that becomes your character's you know, charge throughout the game and the big part of their motivation. And they really build in like not only motivations for your characters and and like the ways they operate, but also this was the first game I played where they really focused on the relationship between all the other players. Mm. That's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I rolled up my first like werewolf and vampire characters, it was like, all right, the other players at the table, how does your character feel about them? Right. Because they're different. They come from a different clan or they come from a different uh, family or what have you. What is it about this character that draws you together? What is about that is a schism for you guys? And they really expected you to have a detailed relationship map, which was really interesting. What? Oh, yeah. I mean, in, uh, that's, you know, you bring up the clans and the tribes again during character creation. That The fun thing about character creation is that although you have a certain amount of freedom, you're not sitting there rolling dice to try and and then allocating the, the 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 numbers to specific like strength dex wisdom there's three sections on most of the character sheets and it's your initial yeah. abilities and then there's the specific abilities that you can do and things that you can special to specialize in depending on how you spread your 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 points across your character it's all point by it with yeah, exactly it and then when you get into before but even so much before you even get into putting the numbers on the sheet putting the dots on the sheet it's you know okay what clan are you from or what tribe oh, are you yeah. in and then oh, yeah. what is your you know what is your uh, your demeanor and then what is your nature and you know so like say if we're going to take vampire right say you're going to play a bruja now the bruja were kind of the punks the anarchists the guys yeah. that you know wanted to kind of stir things up you know yeah, tear down I'd society like already yeah, oh yeah you, you wouldn't and then, enjoy and then later on you find out there's true bruja exactly. and then like regular bruja and you're like which one am i <laughs> and it gets a, it gets a lot deeper from there so and it it's um or if you you know if you go with uh werewolf right say you were going to be a get Ooh. a Fenris, let's, or say, let's let's pick on werewolf later because i think we should do a whole thing on werewolf oh no 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 so I'm, much there yeah just as an example just yeah, as yeah, an yeah. example but yeah so depending on where that goes, and then you go into the relationship with, okay, well, we'll stick with Vampire for this. I'm, you know, I'm going to be a Bruja. You're going to be a Ventru. Well, we might butt heads. Mm-hmm. You know, there might but be a power on, struggle. We're on the somewhere. same side of the great war, of the exactly. great conflict. But we might disagree on some fundamental things. And it was, it's really neat when you read the description, there's all this character stuff in there. Like, how do the Bruja see the world as a collective? All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Hold on. I read Anne Rice. I don't remember Brujas. Right. Actually, and that's funny because you would think that you would get an idea of 
vampires from you know Anne Rice, but they actually said that one of the one of the head writers, one of the co-creators of White Wolf, especially Vampire, said he did everything he could to stick away from from Anne Rice. He didn't pick up a book. He never read anything by oh. her. And the, the reason is is that he didn't want it to possibly influence the decision on how he was going to create his vampires. Now. As we discussed, there's references to movies and, and media and books and, and song lyrics and stuff like that throughout the books, but it's so much that for flavor. It adds it's like putting in bouillon yeah. into a soup. And it's so you're right. They don't they take concepts and then they well, put them into the world. One concept that is straight out of like past vampire lore is the Nosferatu. Yes. Right? Yes. There's that old earlier. black and white movie yep. Nosferatu and is like this like really creepy guy and he's like looming over the bed of the maiden. And so they took the that concept of that from that movie Nosferatu. Yes. They expanded on it. They add a lot more flavor. And now mm-hmm. it's a whole clan exactly. within the world and they're like traders of secret. They're all grossly hideous. Right. Um, they live in the sewer. They're just gross, but they're powerful because Extremely. they're nasty, because they're willing to be where no one else is willing to be. They're willing to get their hands in the muck where other vampire are like, Ugh, no, thank you. Right. But the Nosferatu will get in the dirt and get their hands dirty. And it's just very different in that Ooh, feel. I think we just heard some of Dave's character come out. When the players <laughs> read that, they're like, oh, my God, they get so connected to that clan. Right. Because they, it, it depends on where your aesthetic is going to be focused. Are you focused yeah. on the character themselves? Are you focused on the clan and what the clan represents and, and what their background is? Do you want to be one of the pretty boys? You, want, yeah. you know, because the trade-off for for the the powers, uh, the abilities that you get with the clan is that you do end up having those physical attributes of the creature from the Nosferatu movie. You have the longer bony fingers. You have the elongated face yeah. and nose. You have yeah. those, you know, longer, sharp, you know, rodent-like um, teeth. You know, that, was that one kind of thing, thing. That was one thing about that I loved about Vampire was that every clan had a Dis- disability, right? Like the Nosferatu became hideous. I think the Ventru had like a really strict feeding preferences. Yes, they had cut, uh, prey, ex- not exclusivity, but it was something like that uh, prey selection where yeah. it was, you know, certain you'd have to pick. So, like, I only, you know, feast on hipsters or I only feast on the homeless or something like that. Right. So, and, and it really sucks when that community is not around. Yes, because it it's, it's not like they can just feed on anybody. They have to feed yeah. on the one community or the one type of right. person that they are that they've selected. Exactly. And so, yeah, all of them have little cool. Hey, you're powerful. You're cool in this way. But there's a downside. There's a price. And you have to play to the downside. Right. And that, you know, uh, brings me on to another subject that, which it, that you just reminded me of the flaws. During, oh, yeah. During character creation, you are able to select flaws flaws can be traded for feats or extra points to put into your pool when you're creating your character so you know you might select heightened senses but at the same time to pay for that you'd have to pick you know traditional lore uh, forget one of the ones like you know you can't cross running water is one of your restrictions yeah. which puts a huge huge hindrance depending on where your actual setting is taking place it's just really neat like when you get through making your character you have a very firm idea of who this person is. Mm-hmm. Like, what are they afraid of? What can they do? What can't they do? Where do they live? And uh, yeah, it was really good at character creation. 
And the the thing that the character creation process forces you to do is that you can't, although you could, it, it'd be wasteful to try and do a little bit of everything. Having a concept for your character at the beginning before you even start point allocation allows you to determine how I'm going to spend these points because you have a limited amount, no matter how many, I mean, you could take a number of flaws to give you a couple more, but in the general sense, you need to focus on who you are yeah. Who you want to be, and as you yeah. said, you know you're thinking about you. You know your character because you've made them from the ground up. So if you want somebody who has a lot of money, then you have to put enough points into resources that you have that kind of wealth that you're looking for. If you want somebody who is strong and acrobatic and flexible, then you have to allocate those points. So creating a person in that regard, creating that specific type of character, allows you to mold them into what you want to be. And it gives you, again, as you're going through this process, the time to really get to know who they are. And then the example, I mean, within the, the player's handbook, the, especially the main source book, and then in all the clan books, they gave you examples, pre-created characters, where it shows you, here's your character, here's his, here's his background, here's his current situation, these are his specialties, you know, and then, you know, here's the sheet. And that was that, so it was, you know, almost two pages of information, two full pages of information that lets you flesh that out. And that was the time, you know, a lot of times we, when we would do a first session, we were starting a game of Vampire, the entire first session would just be spent on character creation because it required that session level of depth. Zero. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's and what we appreciated about that. And, you know, as Dave, you mentioned before, when you get into, okay, well, I'm going to be this clan, you're going to be this clan. How do we meet? How do we know each other? What's, what's our, you know, do, is there a rivalry between the clans? Is there, yeah. you know, how do we interact? How do we feel about the clan overall? How do we feel about our clans interactions with these people? You know, are we rebels against that? Do we align ourselves completely with them? You know, it, and it, that's that intrigue. That's the depth that, White Wolf created with their worlds. And that's something I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I think that as a, you know, someone who is the storyteller or, or spinning these things together, it's, it becomes uh, almost a thing that writes itself. Like once you get your players, you look at, well, they all have sires. They all have vampire that created them. Cool. I can spin that into a whole story. You know, maybe I want to focus on the schism between their clans or maybe all their clans are being uh, affronted by some other great force. And it's it's almost like once character creation is done, the storyteller can then look at that and go, "Okay, well, with these pieces, I can actually sew together a very interesting storyscape that allows the players to interact with each other and organizations and all these things. But it really comes from what the players birthed into the world first. And then you, kind of, or at least that's how I always did it, is you then make the story. Because, you know, you might say, hey, we're going to play in this city and there's these things going on. But once the characters have actually been made, that's when you kind of get a sense of, okay, well, you know, sure, there's a missing prince. But now that I know what I'm working with, I really want the story to focus on this aspect of that greater conflict. Right. You, the missing prince could have nothing to do with you. It could just be simply a background story, you know, a background to the entire story itself. It could just be the drop set. Like, the prince is currently missing, but people right. are handling that. Here's what we need you to do. You know, right. you're, you're, you know, uh, 13th, you know, uh, you know, gen. So that's your, your, your fondlings or you, your characters are ninth generation, which is huge. You know, so you, you've been around a lot longer. We need you to handle this aspect of it. Plus the idea of what generation you are, plus who your sire is. 
makes a right. huge difference whether right. your sire and, you know sire was the primogen or whether it's some low life guy who did it without permission that spreads a whole nother level yeah and folks if you've ever seen like true blood oh, i was just thinking true blood dude yeah i i am convinced that the makers of true blood played their asses some like white wolf games because there's the whole concept of, all right, you know, they're out in Louisiana and this like one vampire is kind of forced to sire another vampire and then he has to like be responsible for her and it kind of sucks for all of them. Dude, that is straight up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> straight up a white wolf vampire game. Like, right, yeah, vampire right the Yeah, right there. Exactly. When, and it was yeah. actually funny. Um, I know we've talked about this before we, we started doing this, but anybody who's interested in really knowing about white wolf and specifically vampire and werewolf, but mostly vampire itself, because that's where a lot of this, the documentary focuses on. There's a documentary that came out within the last two years um, called World of Darkness. And the World yes. of Darkness is actually the name for the world that White Wolf sets their stories in. Everything's yeah. a part of it. Mage, Werewolf, Vampire, Wraith, Changeling. Yeah. All the games are in here. And so. in, in the World of Darkness is really Earth. It's mm-hmm. our modern world, just a little darker, mm-hmm. just a little crappier. You know, it's a step p- sideways. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's not quite the upside down world, but man, it's on the way. Mm. You know, like politicians are are worse. Cops are more brutal. You know, the drugs hit harder. The addictions are worse. You know, families are are coming apart at the seams. All of all of the negative stuff is just that much more prevalent in the world of darkness. Exactly. And in the movie, in the excuse me, the documentary uh, World of Darkness, they actually touch on. Uh, two different points. One that you guys brought up, True Blood. And they mm-hmm. said, watching that, it's like, yeah, that's pretty much our world. That is yeah. pretty much exactly our world that they just went and took. And there was actually a lawsuit. I won't bore you with the details, but there was a lawsuit over that. I'm sure there huh. was. And I'm sure there was. There was also, it didn't turn out to be a lawsuit, but uh, you guys remember the first Blade movie that came out with Wesley Snipes. Oh, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Put my hand through your chest. One of the lead artists that was that did in the artwork itself for me is is one of the p- parts that drew me further into hey. White Wolf, especially Vampire. Uh, the, the lead artist for Vampire, when he's looking at a lot of the artwork, a lot of the still shots, you know, Blade itself, although it was based off the the character Marvel. that came out in Marvel, they actually couple years after the movie came out, the one guy who was one of the lead designers actually said, yeah, when we were creating Blade for this movie, we actually looked at your old prints. We looked at your old style, you know, a lot of the things that you created, and that was our inspiration for a lot of this. Wow, um, the visual inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it's like awesome. Tiger and aliens, yeah. yeah exactly. You know, the other thing that gets tossed around a little bit every so often is Underworld with the... Um, That's a game. The vampires oh, and the werewolves oh, oh, yeah, and all that with kind that of stuff. Kate Beckin, who's the yeah. girl in that? Kate yes. Beckinsale. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. awesome. Every, every yeah. so often, I hear that one get tossed Team around. It's Kate, like, man. and they like, actually they brought that up too. Actually, oh and really? Was, and it may, and, and it may be confusing. It maybe it wasn't true, but it was Underworld. That was a there was a lawsuit between one of the two movies regarding them and, and uh, White Wolf itself. And that's yeah, they touch on that too. So it's it's you're not far off in that at all. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, those are those are media projects. I would think that True Blood is a little bit closer to World of Darkness than Underworld. I mean, Underworld is like. A high action version, <laughs> you know, like it's, you're definitely you're, you're you know, but yeah. you, look, let's put. I mean, but they the one thing they touched on was the elders. Oh yeah, oh that's right. You know, and think oh, about them. Man. Think about the elders, them being in a yeah. state of torpor, right? Yeah, and yeah. then so, being raised so, again. So, so the 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 words we're using here, guys, in the world of darkness, the 
ancient vampires. Because remember, vampires live forever. The ancient vampires. Unless you put a stake through their heart. Even then, they might live. What? Um, yeah, it's yeah, complicated. Yeah. So, it's so not, you, you, you got to go read the book. You got to go yeah. read the books. Um, so the ancient vampires, they might not be walking around anymore. They might be in what's called a state of torpor, which is like a long slumber. Basically, being in torpor means you're not playing the game anymore. But whenever you wake up, you're probably going to be more powerful than everybody else. And that's one of the interesting things about vampire is your character could be coming from like middle like the middle ages or something like that. Like you could have a really old character with crazy high stats and they just woke up from torpor and you're like here to kick ass and take names. What is this cell phone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and you're way behind the times on everything. And that was one of the fun things you could do in the game. But yeah, you're right. They had this whole concept of the Methuselah, of the ancient vampires mm-hmm. in torpor being woken up so that they can, you know, exact their rage and hatred on the world. Yeah. Uh, and that is definitely a huge theme in Vampire the Masquerade of like, hey, we don't want this to happen because we all like being masters of our own little universes here. But uh, there's totally a an, a movement to go around waking up the Methuselah and, and ending this party for all of us. Yeah, and that's the, and the, you know, Rich, to put it in D&D terms, think of a very deep reverie for the elves, right? You know, oh, the, yeah, yeah. So, so think of that, but, you know, a con- in a constant state. So in the sense of suspended animation almost. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting stuff. Like I, I, man, I sunk my teeth into this so much in high school and college. And it was like kind of the only thing I wanted to play for such a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's the only thing he wants to talk about for a really long time. <laughs> hey, I, you know what, dude, I waited almost two years. All right. <laughs> I did good. All right. <laughs> but every planning session, it's like, Hey Rich, what do you think? Have you read anything about the vampire yet? Well, now you have me. And you, any yes, time right. that you want to exactly. talk about this world, you know, the okay, entire so, world of like, you know, world of darkness. So, yeah, so vampire has like five editions now, you know, one through three was mostly the same meta plot was mostly the same world. Four was like a completely different world and everything. They like started all over. They just released five last year, uh, maybe a year and a half ago now. And fifth edition has this whole like hunger dice mechanic where like if you go too long without feeding, you start like rolling these dice that might make you go frenzy and you go crazy. They've always had frenzy in the game, but it was really more of a story component. And you just kind of decided, hey, I think now is the time for me to frenzy. Now it's much more like mechanicized. What's your take on like the five editions? What's your what's your bread and butter? To be honest with you, Vampire the Masquerade. Um, oh, which really wow. t- was to be on it is is the you know first second edition i played second edition it wasn't yeah. very much different from first those are the games that i liked that was the ones that i got introduced to so all those second generations um you know with with uh vampire the masquerade being the kickoff to be honest with you i i didn't play the only exposure i had to requiem mm-hmm. which is the what third third edition? Oh, was that third? I, I guess the, I thought yeah. I thought I thought that was fourth, but maybe it was no, third. I'm like, so sorry. The it, no, I don't. To be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure myself. All I know, like, if we're going by names, yeah. So, so Masquerade is your jam. Requiem, you maybe only like looked at. Yeah, and I, I the only exposure I had to it was I played a LARP with using the Requiem world, and I didn't mm. care for it at all. I had to have it explained to me, and it was this very topsy turvy like, okay, when this came out, they decided to just pull the pin and blow up the world. In Vampire the Masquerade, the Masquerade's been dropped, the elders are coming back, everything's just you know going to hell in a handbasket, and they're just like saying, screw it, we'll just 
we're just going to run with this now. And that was actually a big dividing line between the entire populace of, of you know, the, the vampire fans. Then they tried to, to reset it with vampire and then they yeah. went into fifth edition. To just talk about that real quick. The, the people who play Masquerade are like, a very staunch, like we support Masquerade, and they don't touch the other games. Uh, so one that, then, that, that should be not should not be named. You know, they don't mention it. And then the other ones that people play, it's like maybe they showed up to the scene later, or they just kind of didn't care. They they liked the new system, the new World of Darkness, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, they're right. There's a there's a huge divide between those player groups. Mm-hmm. And then I, what's the what's your take on fifth? I didn't care for it as much. They trimmed okay. down a lot of the clans. I didn't necessarily like the Hunger Dice mechanic. It's let me put it this way: if you you have to approach it where it's a it's a different game, hmm. the general basic bones of the game are there, but a lot of the story is different. The clans are a little bit different. They're approached differently. Yep. The play style is different. They still want to focus on storytelling they still want to focus on character and plot development but how you do that and what you need to do as far as how you apply it and, and what the penalties are for failing or for going so long as you said without feeding those are greatly increased and i to be honest with you i think it distracts i think it takes away it doesn't add to hmm. they changed a couple things to make it to make it better you know as far as you know with dominate which is one of the powers you know it used to be a one word command when well, now yeah. they've changed it to a one sentence you could be more specific right with that level of control over over a character or you know an npc so in that respect i, I did like some of the stuff that they did but for the most part it's different so if you have played vampire the masquerade if you've played vampire requiem and you haven't played 5e yet know this i'm not saying don't play it but just go in knowing that it's going to be a different game than you're than you're used to and it's and you know, it may not be for everybody. So, it you know, if right. you have a, a a game store that that runs sessions, if you have a game grip that you can find that you know will run a session with that, go and try it out before you know. I, I don't ever want to necessarily discourage somebody from playing something, but go in with your eyes open. Yeah, yeah, I I, I would agree with that. Like, I think that Five E has some really cool notes in it, but I was a fanboy of the original like clans and story and the arc and all that kind of stuff. They just poured so much material into it. It's really hard not to find something you fell in love with. Yeah. And so I am kind of in love with the masquerade stories and with uh, some of the factions that were there. So I, I completely agree with that. I, I would probably kind of take the stance that I like some of the system components of five and I might prefer the world of first and second. Yeah. And, and that's fine. I mean, I think there's definitely room. You know, I'm always on, you know, whether or not this term is overused, uh, you know, regarding homebrew or home ruling. So, oh, sure. I mean, if you want to kind of bastardize the whole thing and take a couple components here and splash, you know, and sprinkle here and there with, you know, between mixing 5e and masquerade yeah. i think that might all, work to we're all about bastards here man yeah <laughs> we're all about bastards here so yeah definitely definitely no i i think I, th- I think that's a good take i think that's that's a fair read a lot of people their first time hearing about white wolf at least in modern day has been about all the controversies around mm-hmm. white wolf oh yeah all the stuff that's been going on and i want to say folks like the white wolf of today is not the white wolf of the 90s no No. like white wolf has always been kind of edgy like i'll freely admit that the whole like edgelord thing 
applies <laughs> to to like White Wolf and the community and that kind of thing. As as a former edge lord myself, I freely admit that there was a time when I was super edgy. Um, and uh, you're those, still edgy. Those days are, are, have 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 passed me by, my friends. But but it was never quite to the degree that White Wolf went. And and I want to maybe do a little like history lesson to talk about white wolf. Mike, are you like super well versed on the whole history of white wolf? I'm sure you are. Cause you watched the documentary. Yeah. So I, from what I can remember, cause I watched this before Gen Con. So that's about a month and a half ago. So there's yeah. some things I do remember. The thing that I found very interesting is that it actually started off in high school as a zine. It was the, the two brothers yeah. that came together to create this zine. They would take um, excess photocopy paper, paper. They would hand draw the articles. They would or hand draw the, the art. They would you know write these articles and they would staple them together and then they would sell them. And it started out that way. And it was fantasy based. It was it had nothing to do with vampire, werewolf, or mage. That was it was that was later on. And in fact, yeah. it was on a it was on a trip to Gen Con. As they what? were, yes, they they came up with the idea. the The one creator came up with the idea. They were driving through. Oh God, it was one of those. It was either in Michigan or Indiana, somewhere. It, it, well, no, it had to be Michigan because we were going to Milwaukee still. And they went through this like rundown, broken down town, and it was just uh, broken buildings, abandoned places. And you know, they're talking. A bunch of old noodles and company. <laughs> 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 you know, there were a lot of burned out shells, and they're going through. And the guy goes. You know, they're thinking, well, who would live here? Who would who would live in a place like this? And that was the catalyst that first had them develop the idea behind Vampire the Masquerade. And That's it was awesome. this this giant project that, yeah, they just exploded because nobody had seen that before. Nobody had, you know, thought of the idea of taking a vampire, a werewolf, a mage, well, not mages, but a vampire, a werewolf, and making them the heroes or anti-heroes. Right. Nobody right. Had, had, had done that. And, this, you know, what I said earlier, when they turned the industry on its ear, they took people that you had stand for in the monster manual and let you play them as characters and it was really neat because they weren't like hey you don't have to be a hero you don't have to be the good guy you have to be the one that survived you have to be the one that had it in you to come out on top of a right. really bad situation exactly exactly and, you know especially because and again that leads you into where your story teller is going to drop you off based on what the character created you could wake up night one Mm -hmm. not knowing what happened, who you are, why you feel this way. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're waking up, you slept through most of the day, like a bad hangover. You know, it you kind of no like what's going on. Exactly. And think about, you know, to use the reference, one of my favorite 80s movies, Lost Boys. Right. Yay. Think about Michael. Michael wakes up. He doesn't know that he's a vampire. Michael wakes up. He doesn't know what's happened to him. You wake you could wake up not knowing what you're doing. And then you're dropped in this world of darkness, no pun intended, and you're just, you have to figure it out. You have to yeah. figure out what happened to you and what's going on. And you could just wake up in this no-tell motel on the floor, you know, trying to figure out why you have this crazy headache and why things seem brighter, Some, some bite marks in your neck. Exactly. <laughs> so that kind of stuff. An insatiable hunger. Exactly. And that's, and that's kind of can be the jumping off point for you, you know, and just, I mean, just talking about this right now, I'm already imagining all these great worlds that are coming to life in front of me. And yeah. by the way, so again, this sounds like a not very module based system. This sounds like you create your own stories 
for your adventures to happen in? So they had modules. Mm-hmm, they had so. some really big epic modules. Yes. Um, they actually had one. Oh, one of my favorite ones was a cross game module that it included vampire and mage and werewolf mm-hmm. and changeling called chaos. And it all took place down in Mexico and it was the best. Oh, it was so good. And uh, yeah, so they had some modules, but you're right. That wasn't the intention. The intention wasn't for you to say, okay, I've read the book. Now let me go buy the modules. It was, okay, I've read the book. Now I'm going to run my own games. And if I need a module, if I want a module, I can go and pick one up and, and run my players through it. Right. Um, but and it was not the not the intention. That's no. for sure. The components that they would come up with would be backgrounds for cities that you wanted to run in. Say you wanted to be in Chicago. Say you wanted to be in New York. Say yeah. you wanted to be in L.A. They New gave, you know, exactly. They gave you the background for the city. The mm, you know who's cyberpunkish uh, a yeah. little bit yeah exactly yeah, yeah. And give you give you all the hooks you need to all the politics to all the things you could pull on who's the prince what clan is in control yeah. you know who are who's the you know who's running it what are the, what are these you know how are these different clans received in the city what is the strength of the clan in the city you know their numbers their general idea um, and you can basically jump off from there so it gave you a general idea of. Um, a background for that that you could jump, but it didn't give you a story to run them through. Was it like, you know, like today with Adventure League where in D&D you're going through a specific series of events. It was the, you know, imagine like a, a source book for Dragonlance or Forgotten Realms or, you know, like a city. Greyhawk. So like, or Greyhawk, yeah. right. Or, you know, so yeah. for if you got a book for Waterdeep, right? You would know the city, you would know what's going on in the city, but it didn't tell you how to run an adventure in the city. It just gave you pieces it gave you flavor it was gave you all the ingredients that you needed to create something delicious without telling you exactly how you had to make it that's breathtaking (laughs) indeed indeed yes yeah and i think that was really the heyday right i mean when when these games came out dude they made so many books so Mm -hmm. many material so much material for all these things dude i bought like every mage book i bought every (laughs) werewolf book i it was i was obsessed a lot of the vampire books too, but yeah, I mean like they just made so much stuff mm-hmm. and then they kind of backed themselves into a, a hole when it came to the meta plot. Cause all of these games were like the end is coming, <laughs> you know, like all of those games were like the, we're upon the ascension. We're upon the apocalypse. Right. The masquerade is cracking, you know, right, like exactly. the end times were coming And by like the end of the 90s, it was like, all right, dudes, are we going to do this or not? Like, (laughs) let's just do this end of the world stuff now. And they, you know, blew up the world, started all over again with uh, these other games. And I want to say like by the mid aughts, White Wolf was losing some of its luster. Right. Like well, Pathfinder yeah. was on the scene and D&D was having this huge resurgence and, you know, they had lost some of their like core audience by going to these newer editions. A lot of it was that, you know, they after they decided to pull the pin and blow up the world is when you saw a bigger decline. Like they saw the initial decline or increase in, in book sales because they had an entire new world that you needed to to, uh, to right. sell. So you needed to new, sell the new source books for you know requiem you needed to sell the new source book for whatever the werewolf thing was after that yep forsaken thank you but they said initially if you look at the numbers after that initial sale which was not where anywhere near where it was when they first came out with the world it went up a little bit and then again it started to decline and a lot of it was the sales decline 
of actual books that caused them to make the decision to, you know, all right, we're going to have the apocalypse. We're going to break the masquerade. The ascension's oh, going to happen. Right. So it wasn't so much necessarily like, where we, you know, are we going to do it or not? It was the, we have to do this to try and, they were, you know, trying to put a little juice in the veins. They were trying to gotcha. get to spur a, a resurgence in what they, and everyone thought they were crazy. Like, in you know, people throughout the industry thought they were insane. They're like, you've built this entire world over the last nine, ten years. You have all yeah. this source material out there, and now you're going to say it's worthless. You're yeah. going to blow, you, like they said, you're going to blow up the world. That That's insane. And that is insane. Based on the fan reaction, it kind of was. Right. I applauded it because it was something I'd wanted to see. It was gratifying to see it. Right. Um, but then it was like, oh, shit. Now what do I do? Right. <laughs> Like I'm left without a home and like right around then OSR is making it huge. The old school revival is making it huge. So there's all these juicy places for players to go when they blew up the world. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think it wasn't so much and they, they wasn't so much a, a decline that people were dissatisfied with the products they were putting out. It's not like people had gotten bored with vampire oh, and, their and art werewolf. was so good folks i cannot tell gorgeous. you their, Absolutely their gorgeous. art was so great especially then compared to like other gaming companies mm-hmm. their products were gorgeous yeah i'm sorry i just no, rem- no, no, i just no. remembered how like amazing that stuff was and you should uh, because to- and there's there's a, a great story behind all of that and if you go and check out the documentary world of darkness they explore that too and that was one of the key components for a how they designed the cover for vampire and b you know what they wanted to do to set them apart from everybody else from from all the other ideas that they had had you know it's it's yeah. not cartoony it's not fantasy there's something real there's something gritty there's something dark and heavy about the artwork that makes it stand out in that regard and the models that the guy used were actually people he knew there were people in punk bands people in metal bands yeah. people that were you know not necessarily models but people in real life that they could draw from and you interesting characters that. exactly yeah. exactly yeah. so they flushed it out and, and i think that the world of darkness or the white wolf kind of fell to the same same problem that the simpsons fell to there's a really good youtube video this out there. is a great analogy yeah the, there's a great youtube video out there about the decline of the simpsons in that when the simpsons started and when white wolf started they were counterculture they were shaking the tree they were fucking shit up yep. right they were saying, no, we are going to have great art. No, we're going to focus on story. This stuff is going to be amazing. We're going to do things that nobody's ever done before. Right. And they did it with a plum for over a decade. And then, well, everybody else caught on. Everybody else started having great art. Everybody else started focusing on story. Everybody else started focusing on these things. And what was once the counterculture of White Wolf became the culture of gaming and then they started to get surpassed, I think, by other products. And they blew up the world, which was a huge, crazy thing. And that really set them up to be purchased or merged into CCP Gaming, right? The uh, MMO creators of EVE Online. Exactly. And oh, it, was, really? it was a crazy arc because, I mean, they, they, they were so big and so revolutionary and then they kind of went out with this, all right, we're doing this cr- crazy big thing with Forsaken and and Requiem and all this stuff. And then, you know, CCP Games out of Iceland says, hey, we want to make a vampire MMO that follows the EVE Online mean is good 
approach to gaming and and you know survive at your wits and i you know you and i we played a lot of eve online rich i mean like yes. i love eve online and i remember when ccp bought them it was this huge deal they had like this big goth party and like the 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 leader of ccp hilmer was dressed in like all black and had like mascara and makeup on and like they were all like being as gothy as they could possibly be and everybody was like drinking champagne and it was like this is gonna be amazing and then nothing happened. Right. They um, they were losing money hand over fist at, the, at that point. And they decided, okay. And, and again, this is another reason why um, you started to see a decline. It wasn't so much just a saturation of the things that they had in the market because everything they needed was – everything they put out was fantastic. Everything that they built added to the world instead of distracting from it. However, as you said, when you have that – that revolution and you start moving from masquerade to rec rem and from apocalypse to forsaken you're still at the same point where online gaming mmo rpgs have started oh. taking away from tabletop role-playing so people are not yeah. necessarily reading anymore they're not necessarily playing at the table anymore now they're, they're going all playing world of dark uh, uh, uh world of warcraft exactly so that was cutting into their bottom line in a general sense because their audience was moving in a different direction so to do that they decided like you said they would team up with CCP Gaming, who, as you said, did EVE Online, and they wanted to create something huge. The unfortunate part about this is they didn't necessarily have as much money at their fingertips as they needed, because although they had partnered partnered with this other company and had been bought out, necessarily bought out by them, what happened is that over the two-year process that they started getting money taken away from them. So for yeah. so less and less money was going into the creation of it, less and less money was going into the coding and, and the actual interest in this game. The one thing they did make a huge announcement on, if you remember this, was that they were trying to figure out, okay, what world are we going to set this in? Are we set this in Masquerade or are we going to set this in Requiem? They decided to set it in Masquerade, and there was a huge explosion at that at, at that announcement party. Yeah, big response because everybody wanted it to be set in Masquerade. Yeah. So that was a big part of it. But then you start, as you said, it nothing happens over the two year period that they're trying yeah. to make something happen, and the game itself you could see actual like you know uh, rough footage in it in the documentary looked gorgeous, and the concept behind it looked amazing, Ooh. and it looked fantastic. But they pulled the plug, and it just you know, and it died. What's crazy is like I was really into EVE Online when all this was going on and I watched it flounder because what would happen is CCP would make a big announcement about Vampire the Masquerade becoming an MMO, right? And they'd have all these resources behind it. And then CCP would do something completely idiotic in EVE Online, completely idiotic. And they would say, okay, hold up. Everybody in the company, whether you're White Wolf or CCP oh. or whoever, everybody, all hands on deck, we are solving the EVE Online problem right, right now. Can't yep. mess with the cash cow. Exactly. Cannot mess with the cash cow. Exactly. And this was when they had the first big player revolt in EVE Online because they had this whole like greed is good thing where they're doing microtransactions mm -hmm. and people were pissed off. Yep. And they were like, all right, all hands on deck, all production of this other MMO stops while we fix EVE Online. Yep. Wow. And they did that like twice. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it all, CCP was like, look, we went into this with the best of intentions, but we totally shot ourselves in both kneecaps um you know first one douche going greed is good second one douche going uh walking in stations or whatever it was and it was just like oh god ah all stations. this all this stuff that they did would just completely killed that product right and you know in the meantime you've got companies like onyx press coming out 
that is making supplemental materials for for White Wolf products because, hey, they're not making any more uh, freaking pen and paper role-playing games. They're working on this video game. So they're not working on the pen and paper stuff. So Onyx Publishing comes out, or Onyx Path, my apologies, Onyx Path comes out to make these books while, C- while White Wolf is basically focused on other things. And it's just such a, such a sad thing, I think, because I saw the... I saw the hope that was in that move mm-hmm. and I saw it slowly wither and die a gasping mm-hmm. breath. And then they were like, all right, we're gonna have to let this one go. They did a huge multi-million dollar write-off on their, uh, on their filings or whatever and sold white wolf off to like paradox, which is another video game company, right? <laughs> they sold it off to paradox interactive. The same guys who do a bunch of video games that I love. Um, fuck. I can't think of him of any of them right now. But um, but yeah, Paradox picked up White Wolf and said, all right, we're going to turn you back into a pen and paper role playing game company. And it's just so unfortunate because White Wolf ran into scandal after scandal after scandal. And now, like, they're not even allowed to produce their own content. They have to approve content that another company makes for them. Wow. Yeah, it's it gets pretty deep. It gets pretty yeah. deep. It's it, yeah. It, there is something that is both encouraging, disheartening while you watch the documentary, and it, it's just it's something that I don't know. I it I'm never going to not love Masquerade. I'm never going to not enjoy the game. Yeah, and it's it was. I would think hey, if I look back on it, that those years when I was a teenager, you know, learning about you know White Wolf, learning about the world of darkness, playing through it, the game the world the source material were all super influential into what made me who i am today and i i don't regret any of it i think it's yeah. it was super important oh man dude mike you have you have brought up some like nostalgia in me i am i am now like off in my own little world thinking about the wonderful game i want to run for everybody at next gen con there you go <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, I just. All right, yeah, that's gonna happen now. God damn! All right, yeah. That's why you need those other three hundred and sixty-one days of the year that's right. after Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's an allocation of time and resources that you need to invest yes. to make this the best it can be. Instead of, you know, it's a week before Gen Con, and it's like, oh God, what am I gonna do? Yes, yes. All right, that's that. That's it. My game contribution for Gen Con twenty twenty is going to be an old school White Wolf game. And I'll probably do it as a five or eight person game because that's how I used to run it back in the day as big top yeah. uh, yeah. games. So, all right, I think, done. Yeah. And you know what? That's almost because that came out early. You heard it here, folks. It's almost yeah. 30 year anniversary of, of White Wolf 2. So oh, man. that's I'm huge. I'm going to go buy their, uh, their next anniversary edition prints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they came out. 100 bucks a book. Exactly. Can't wait. <laughs> It's gonna be real marble on the cover. Oh God, no! It's, it's not. It's not. Gonna be, no, it's not gonna be real marble. They're still gonna charge me two hundred dollars, but I'm gonna pay it. <laughs> All right. I think we have boiled this ocean. I desperately want to have you back. Oh my God! Talking the other products and just let's just you and I go down White Wolf Lane yeah. and let Rich hold on for dear life. <laughs> I mean, there is so much that we could sit here and talk about. Still, however. Knowing that we need to pare this down to be listenable, um, I would say that for now, we've covered quite a lot. The breadth of the world of darkness is huge. The breadth of vampire itself is tremendous. And I'll be happy to come back any day you want to talk more about any of it. Awesome. 
Well, cool. Everyone who's stuck it out this long, thanks a ton. This is probably going to be a longer episode uh, or was a longer episode <laughs> just because I'm so into this topic. Thank you all so much for listening. And as always, have fun and play well. May all your roles be crisp. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, David Gillespie, with music provided by Taylor Guillory. Our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. And if you like our style, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It's the best way to help people find us. Most importantly, though, feel welcome to connect with us on Twitter, our Facebook group, Discord server, our Friday night Twitch streams, and our website, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. We really look forward to talking and playing games with you. Thank you.